Hey everyone, Brian Beeler here with our latest podcast and uh, you can tell if you get the visual of this and not just the audio that we're on location out in Anaheim, uh, California in the offices of Data On and we've arranged to have a, a really great uh, guest today, well it remains to be seen but I suspect he'll be a great guest today, the, uh, the guy uh, behind uh, Azure Stack HCI at Microsoft. Let's bring in none other than Cosmos Starwin. Cosmos, thanks for joining today. Brian, thanks for having me. Uh, I'm coming to you live on location from my house. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, that is the, the modern version, right, of, of these things. So just because I happen to be sitting in DataOn's conference room with their new Intel systems and Optane and QLC, don't, don't let that distract you. I mean, we're here mostly to talk about Azure Stack HCI. I am happy to talk about Azure Stack HCI or the latest in storage innovation or whatever it is that you want to talk about. <laughs> uh, all of it's good. Um, let's start at a high level. So we've worked on a number of these systems from data on, from Dell also with the AX nodes. Uh, really great platform that not enough people know about, especially the performance profile. I know how excited you got at, uh, at your conference, gosh, it's probably been three years ago now about your giant IOPS numbers, but what just what's the latest? Yeah, it's a great question. We spend a lot of time having fun with uh, pushing the performance of our software-defined infrastructure stack with Azure Stack HCI. Um, I think what you're seeing actually, uh, especially in the last maybe two to three years, is that our message from the Azure team is changing significantly. So if you had uh, gone to, let's say, one of the most recent in-person occurrences of the Microsoft Ignite conference, what you would have seen is <laughs> Microsoft executives coming out saying, hey, you should migrate to the public cloud, right? It was a sort of a very like one, one bullet point message. And uh, actually, the, the strategy from Azure has changed significantly in the last couple of years. Um, and I mean, if you go to azure.com, like right now today, one of the biggest words on the screen right at the top is on-premises, right? And that's uh, part of our new mission with Azure and Azure Arc to sort of build tools and build services that help customers to innovate wherever they are. And Azure Stack HCI is a super central part of that strategy. Um, and so more than ever, I mean, our teams are having uh, a ton of fun building out new capabilities and tools and services around, especially, yeah, the high performance storage that uh, is so popular with HCI um, to have really help customers take advantage of Azure if they're not moving to a public cloud. And I think that's a super important right. distinction and it's a big push for us at Microsoft. Well, I mean, you, you weren't alone at Microsoft to be cloud, maybe cloud first or cloud only, depending on how far you went with that messaging. Uh, in the early days because there was legit excitement about the cloud, right? Organizations wanted to take advantage of the immediacy of the cloud, of the uh, OpEx versus CapEx, like all of these things. And so it was real and understandable why you would jump there. But now it seems like we've really sort of transitioned or fallen back to this hybrid cloud model where you'd have something like Azure Stack HCI on-prem and then take advantage of cloud services in addition to. Is that kind of how it's feeling? Yeah, I think you, I think you hit the nail on the head there. I mean, hybrid really is the key word. What I think has become clear uh, in the last couple of years is that the crushing majority of customers are going to take advantage of the cloud in some capacity, 
Mm-hmm. Uh, but they're not going to be able to move 100% of what they do uh, of their IT estate into a public cloud. It's just not going to make business sense or practical or technical sense for every single thing that they do. And so, I mean, if you look at Azure, it's, it's it, I mean, it's certainly not like people aren't using Azure, right? 95% of the Fortune 500 actively uses Microsoft Azure every day. But they also have workloads that uh, have legitimate reasons that they need to remain outside of a cloud, right? Whether that's latency or data sovereignty or some other consideration where uh, there's legitimate reasons that they need edge infrastructure. And that's that's where Azure Stack HCI fits in for us. Is you can have a consistent set of tools across what you do move to the cloud and what you keep on-prem. Um, but we, we don't really have a favorite between those, right? We're quite happy to deliver services that work both places. So I want to talk about two things then, one being the cloud experience and the services and capabilities available in the cloud and how you drag those down and make them available on-prem in the HCI world as well. Uh, containers being a big one. I know you guys are big on on AKS and delivering that. So let's, let's come back to that one. Um, the other issue being uh, one of... Uh, well, you know what? Before we go there, let's let's talk containers because I, I want to get into this. So I, I I love the notion of enabling cloud services in the cloud and then bringing them down to the on-prem as well because that gives that gives if I'm in app development for my organization, I can maybe develop it in the cloud and then run it live on-prem or the other way around or or use the cloud to scale. Talk about containers though specifically and and what that means for your uh, your HCI solution. Yeah, a, a great prompt. So there's there's actually two things I would say here that are important and they're kind of it's like digging a tunnel from both sides, right? And so <laughs> oh, but they never they never line up. How do you make sure they line up? Actually, we've gotten pretty good at that in the last month. <laughs> um, so the the first thing to say is you're absolutely right. So uh, containers and in particular using Kubernetes to manage containers is definitely it's not just a fad, it's a, it's a, it is a day, right? This is how the vast majority of modern applications that are being written new today are actually being written, is to run on Kubernetes. That's true of workloads that our customers are building. It's actually also true of a lot of what we're building in-house at Microsoft. And so when you uh, see us talking about bringing our cloud services to the edge, uh, the secret sauce that's actually making that work is the Azure Kubernetes service. And so a ton of capabilities in Azure, uh, things like cognitive services or app services or Azure functions, those are things that run on Kubernetes. And as a result, it's not that hard for us to package them up so that they can run on Kubernetes outside of one of our data centers. And so to, uh, to sort of deliver, that, that's the one half of the picture, right, is these services can be packaged up and delivered either as virtual machines in some cases or as containerized applications for Kubernetes uh, most of the time. And so what you need is an infrastructure that can run those things, right? That can deliver reliable, high-performance virtual machines and containers. And so that gets us to the other direction that we're digging, right? Uh, We announced last fall at our virtual Microsoft Ignite uh, that we have brought the Azure Kubernetes service to Azure Stack HCI. And this runs completely on your on-premises cluster. So the control plane, the management, all of it is running on Azure Stack HCI, and it gives you the ability to run containerized workloads and Kubernetes workloads that were originally designed for a public cloud like AKS and Azure. You can now run them on AKS on Azure Stack HCI. 
And so, of course, we've had to do a ton of work on my engineering team and on our peer teams to do things like take the high-performance storage that's in Storage Spaces Direct and map that up into containers so that a pod can make the volume claim and actually get like you know the storage class memory that you talked about earlier underneath through Storage Spaces Direct. So that's kind of us digging from the other side. On the one hand, sure. we're bringing AKS to HCI, and on the other hand, we're bringing a bunch of Azure workloads to AKS. And um, the result is, yeah, now as a customer, you can run app services, web apps, functions, cognitive services, managed SQL, data services, like a whole bunch of the things that you would have thought once upon a time were, like I guess, exclusive to public cloud. Right. You can now run those uh, on the machines that you control, that you own, that you manage on your premises. It's pretty cool. Well, it, it must be a big deal because when I look through the blogs on, on Microsoft's site for Azure Stack HCI, you guys are doing an update once a month, it looks like, a monthly blast just on AKS. So what's new, what's available. So it sounds like, one, you're iterating pretty quickly there to bring more of those features out. And two, looking at the engagement numbers, just the, the read views at a high level, I mean, those seem like they're getting a lot of engagement too. Uh, which is you know, also a good sign. But what? tell me about the, um, the dev cycles there. How are you delivering additional features and being able to keep up and, and keep that tunnel all the way open and aligned with the, the public cloud version? Yeah, great question. I mean, the velocity in the Kubernetes community is just really uh, high, right? Mm-hmm. And so there's a new Kubernetes version of AKS, I believe, every three months. Um, and we have set out to try to not fall very far behind that. Um, at this stage, as you say, we have a ton of engagement. There are a lot of customers who are not only using AKS on top of Azure Stack HCI, but who are also giving us a ton of feedback about AKS on top of mm-hmm. Azure Stack I'm, I'm sure they're not short on feedback. <laughs> yeah, and, I mean, actually, it's wonderful, though, right? Like, you, that, that may come off like it's some sort of a euphemism for criticism. No, it's no. Great. Actually, right. But uh, those app so- those app dev guys tend those app dev guys tend to be really communicative about when your thing is not doing what they want it to do. They will let you know. And and that's wonderful. I mean, we welcome it, right? As a product manager, there's like nothing more delightful than someone who is enthused and passionate about your product saying, "Hey, I would like it to do X or Y additional thing." And so, if you take a look at like the August update for AKS on HCI or the September update for AKS on HCI. They're, they're modest updates, right? Because there's, they're once a month, so obviously we're not like completely rewriting the thing every time. But there are real important new capabilities that we're adding. Things like support for static IPs, things like uh, better validation when you input like a, a range of virtual addresses for your VIP pool. Um, things like the ability to taint nodes when you have a, a multi-node worker pool. There's all sorts of little capabilities that are, I mean, they're just, we've got this big backlog based on what customers have told us and we're sort of steadily working through it. And we expect to keep up that frequent cadence. One of the key things that we're doing with both AKS on National Stack HCI as well as with HCI itself is treating it as an always up-to-date subscription mm-hmm. service, right? So there's not like you don't buy a version and then at some later time think about a ho, ho, hum, maybe I should buy the next version. Like you just always get whatever our team has built most recently as long as right. you're a subscriber. And so with AKS, right, the velocity is really, really high. Um, and we're excited about that. I mean, one of the, I don't know if you follow the AKS uh, team in Azure Public Cloud, but uh, it's led by Brendan Burns, the guy who invented Kubernetes. And uh, he he sort of makes a, a monthly ritual out of poking fun at other clouds, which are never as up to date as Azure with the latest Kubernetes version. And uh, 
I think maybe a little bit of that culture has rubbed off on the AKST on HCI as well. There we go. There we go. All right. So let's go way backwards because I, I wanted to follow these two thoughts at the same time. The other thing that I think is important to understand, and we've been talking about it this week here with Howard at, uh, at Data On, is Microsoft's approach to Azure Stack HCI has changed a little bit too because you started out kind of like a feature in Windows if if not not to maybe oversimplify it a little bit but now you've got the the Azure Stack OS install to get these guys rolling on the on the nodes and and it feels a little more productized for lack of a better word than than maybe the last couple of years can you talk a little bit about that kind of shift in in the way you guys are thinking and delivering on uh, Azure Stack HCI yeah it's a very profound shift uh, and i i won't um I won't try to sort of varnish or gloss over any of this, right? Anyone who uh, runs a, a business or is in business, I think will understand the fundamental difference within an organization between when something is a feature of a product versus when it has a P&L, it has business accountability, it has like its own, you know, uh, productization, its own life cycle, its own revenue, its own customers, its own backlog of feedback, right? And you're right that in the last two years, Azure Stack HCI has graduated from being a feature of Windows Server, kind of an, uh, an experiment. You know, okay, wouldn't it be nice if some people set up their servers this way? Maybe they could turn them into HCI clusters. To now being a product that we absolutely internally run as a business, right? We track our growth metrics. We track customer churn. We have a dedicated support organization where all they do every day is either support HCI customers or train to better support HCI customers, right? Mm -hmm. Um, that's something we never had before. And so you're absolutely right that there's been a pretty significant shift. Um, I don't know how much of it is necessarily perceived externally. Like, I, yes, we've gone from saying, please install Windows Server to saying, hey, you should please install this uh, purpose-built OS that's and then connected up to Azure and all of the support and uh, billing and uh, everything else, like even at some point, like more and more of the management like flows through Azure, right? So I guess some of that you can perceive as a customer, but there's there's a whole rest of the iceberg in-house too, which if, again, if you're a business person or if you've been in business, I think you probably understand what a difference that makes in terms of our ability to execute on this product and also the commitment that it signals. Um, we're a business unit within Microsoft and um, I think that gives our customers confidence in an important way as well. So what's your, what's your agreed upon direction then? So if your business unit is your mission to uh, dethrone VMware? Is it uh, less ambitious and to you know be in every SMB infrastructure? I mean, what where? What's the mission statement? Where do you want to go? Yeah, it's a fair question. So Azure Stack HCI is part of an organization called the Azure Edge and Platform Team, um, and I would say our team in particular is focused very much on I would say doing right by the Hyper V customer. And that, yeah. may, that maybe oversimplifies, but uh, Hyper-V has, has an, an enormous community around it. Um, Storage Spaces Direct to some extent also does actually. Um, these are individuals and organizations who have chosen this technology stack to run all or, or some of their business. Um, and we wanna make sure that they have access to the best virtualization and the best edge infrastructure experience that we as Microsoft can provide. 
And so that involves taking as much of the management innovation that we do in Azure, as much of the hypervisor and host innovation as we do in Azure, as much of that as possible, and delivering that to this, um, if you'll permit me to call it that, this kind of Hyper-V customer who's saying, hey, Microsoft, I need to run an, in, an infrastructure. Like, what should I run, right? Now, those customers overwhelmingly, like I said, are becoming Azure customers. Mm-hmm. And so how, how serving them sort of looks ends up looking vaguely Azure-like, that's actually not the goal, strictly speaking. The goal is give them great management tools, give them the workloads that they need, give them infrastructure that does what they need it to do. Um, but increasingly, sort of, sort of the, that's, that, that's the what, but the how is increasingly becoming, let's leverage Azure for uh, the various strengths that it has. And a good example of that is like the, the multi-cluster monitoring capability that we rolled out a little earlier this year. Uh, it had been a sort of perennial point of feedback from customers that HCI is great at branch offices and edge deployments and things like that. Um, the problem was all of Microsoft's management tools were intended to manage a single cluster at a time. And like, well, wait a minute, a branch office, by definition, I have multiple of them, right? right. So help me out. And uh, we didn't have a, a tool that you could use to actually see like all of your clusters in a single pane of glass. And so forget Azure and like forget, you know, Arc and what all of that. That was just like feedback we were getting from Hyper-V and Storage Spaces Direct customers. They were like, hey, it would be great if I could easily monitor all of these things in one place. Uh, and sometimes that feedback sort of came in the form of specific suggestions, like please add this to Windows Admin Center or please add this to insert my favorite tool here. Um, but we took a look at this problem and we said, well, first of all, we agree it's a problem. Like this is a real scenario. This makes a ton of sense. We would like to build something here that helps our customers. What's the best way that we can do it? And we realized actually in this specific case that by far the easiest way to do this is going to be to use Azure, use Azure Arc and use Azure Monitor. Because Azure Monitor has this world-class set of alerting capabilities and charting capabilities. Like you can customize everything in Azure Monitor. It's amazing. It's got all these outbound integrations where you can get a Slack message or a Teams message or sure. a service yeah. message, right? So like it was sort of staring us in the face. All right, this is the way to tackle this problem. So how we how we decided to do it was well based on the feedback we'd heard from our customers. But then the the technology choices we made were sort of dictated by where is Microsoft investing right now, which is in Azure Monitor. And so that's why we rolled out earlier this year this multi-cluster monitoring scenario through Azure Monitor Insights uh, that's specifically for Azure Stack HCI. So it's super easy to set up. It's not some sort of generic thing. It's like an HCI multi-cluster monitoring experience, but it is built in Azure Monitor because that was the best way we could deliver it. So I would say, yeah, focused on serving the Hyper-V customer and their needs first and foremost, we've got a ton of them, like the install base is huge, um, right. love them. And so we want to make sure that they have the best uh, tools that we can make for them and the best infrastructure experience that we can make for them. Um, and increasingly that's going to end up looking like we're sort of leaning on Azure for stuff. But actually I think that's more of an engineering efficiency thing than a, than a goal in and of itself. Yeah, well talk, talking about this setup, so the, the fundamental difference of going to the uh, HCI OS, that's a, I know we've, I've already said it, you said it a second time, that's a big deal. That's a big change for, for you guys. And to me, that's really what helps it feel like a product and a, uh, a its own solution, right? Because that's the starting point. And then you layer your VMs or whatever else on, on top and, and get rolling. So talk a, a little bit more, if you can, about the connection, um, from Azure then to 
the HCI OS and how that process is, uh, uh, well, cloudifying, I guess, even the local uh, deployments of, of HCI is, is it, I think there, I feel like there's a little more there in, in terms of that integration. Yeah, no, you're right. Um, and not only is there a little more there, but there will be even more as time goes on. So there's, um, I mean, at a high level, I would say there's sort of three things that we are, uh, that we see as unique opportunities for us to bring something special and valuable to our customers. Okay. Um, obviously, there's a lot of things we can do that are like, um, you know, where Microsoft may or may not do the, the best one ever, but like, you know, we need to have it so we have it, right? Um, but on internally, this actually comes all the way from the top. So Satya, um, our CEO, his guidance to all of us is always like, think about what we as Microsoft can uniquely bring here. Like we have a set of capabilities and a set of um, circumstances. Like there's some sort of a unique contribution that we can make to the world, and let's figure out what that is, and then and then make that what we focus on. And so for HCI, there's kind of three the way that we see it. There's the the Azure workloads, and um, maybe I can call them like Azure benefits, like the things that make it great to run. A virtual desktop infrastructure in Azure, for example, or a Kubernetes deployment in Azure. Um, to the extent that we can bring those workloads onto Azure Stack HCI, that's pretty unique and pretty valuable. Um, that can certainly make things easier to manage than otherwise. So, like, if you if you're a customer who's used AKS before, you know it's kind of magic in the cloud. Like, you just it's like push button and you get like a Kubernetes cluster that's properly set up with the flannel um, CNI and the storage driver, and like, it's it's really hard actually to set that up on your own. And yet, with AKS on HCI, it's the same experience as the cloud. It's a push button. You just deploy, and now you have a Kubernetes environment. Um, so that's the first thing where we think we can do something pretty unique and pretty different, is bringing these Azure workloads and Azure sort of like maybe end user experiences onto Azure Stack HCI. The, the second thing that we can do that's pretty unique um, is our engineering team, the Azure Engine Platform team, is the same. Like, we actually have two jobs. We are responsible for building Azure Stack HCI, but we're also responsible for the rollout of the Azure host OS. So the OS that we run on the, the on the metal in our Azure fleet. So, I mean, it's like pretty stressful. We have more than a million machines across all of our Azure regions. We, you know, we like to talk about how we have more Azure regions than any other cloud, and that's still true. And that's a lot of computers. Um, really, I mean, we're busy at the same time of the month as everyone else is busy because, like, we're constantly keeping these machines uh, secured and up to date. And so, we develop a bunch of tools and technologies in the course of doing that. Uh, an example that I've spoken about before is Kernel Soft Reboot, which allows restarting a machine faster. Um, and so, the second unique thing that we think we can do is bring some of that host and hypervisor level innovation to our customers in the form of Azure Stack HCI. And it's like, if you want to take a, a inside out view that's kind of why we have that product actually so that we can um bring it's like a vehicle for us to bring this value to that hyper v audience that i talked about but the third thing and this gets to your question is azure management innovation right so in azure um there's a certain way that you interact with your resources and if you're an azure customer you've gotten used to it over time right you can search for anything in the omni search bar at the top center of the screen and whether it is a resource or a service or a resource group or like it will just come up instantly, right? There's a really robust indexer for everything that you have. And if you have 100,000 virtual machines in your subscription, it still works, 
right? And so like that's one of these things that you just get used to when uh, when you're using Azure. It's like I can like everything is indexable, everything is taggable, everything's organized into resource groups. I can provision and delete things really easily using a consistent set of patterns, and I can just search for whatever I want in the Omni search, right? And so you get used to those things as a customer. And what we've asked ourselves is how much of that can we make true of Azure Stack HCI and of the workloads that you run on Azure Stack HCI? And so step, um, because you mentioned registration, is when you deploy an Azure Stack HCI OS uh, now, uh, like on a physical server, you deploy a cluster of such servers, one of the steps you do is you register it with Azure, which means you, you sort of hook it up or you wire it up to your Azure subscription. This does a few things. It provides capabilities for our support team. Uh, it also uh, sets up a set of uh, sort of billing infrastructure so that all the licensing like automatically happens. You don't have to, there's no keys or anything, right? Like it, it just figures out how much, uh, how, how much you're doing, how many cores you have, and everything takes care of itself. Um, but then also, like from that point onward, your HCI cluster is searchable. It's taggable. It's in a resource group too. Like it's it's fully participating in that Azure Resource Manager model, um, just as if it was something that's that's in Azure. And we think that that's really valuable, and that's going to continue to get more and more rich over time. Like one of the big things, I guess, I don't know if I'm spoiling something, but like uh, today, your cluster and the nodes show up. Um, a little later this year, your VMs will start to show up as well. Um, and so thing by thing, like more and more of uh, what you might want to find is going to be searchable and taggable in Azure as if it was an Azure resource, which is really, really valuable. And to your point, that's not some sort of a bolt-on. That's a profound integration. So like the, the componentry that makes that possible is baked into the OS for Azure Stack HCI. Like there is a protective process that is always running. It starts every time the OS starts. Um, nothing can get in the way of it running. And it manages uh, that sort of connection to Azure. It manages heart beating. It manages uh, syncing metadata between the cloud representation and the actual source of truth on-prem. And uh, things like you know, the certificates that you need to be able to communicate with Azure. Like You as a user never have to do any of that um, because this OS native, uh, it's called HCI SVC, if you want to go look it up. You can like see it like any other service, but it's an OS service um, that is constantly managing your connection to Azure for you. And so that's been a huge, you can imagine, that's a big engineering investment for us. Uh, and we've got a whole pipeline of capabilities, some of which we'll talk about a little later this year. We do have Ignite coming up in just about six weeks. Um, there's a whole bunch of new capabilities that are coming to that sort of hybrid connection so that this gets richer and richer over time. So how do you guys think about it then in terms of driving these features from the cloud and cloud consumption style models of usability? It doesn't sound like, though, what you want to do is take Azure public cloud and drop it off in a box on site at, at a customer's on-prem location because that, that consumption model is just different than, than the more traditional VM-based model but that you still want to bubble up a lot of those features. How, just how do you manage the blend when you're in your team meetings figuring out you know, what features to pull down and how to do it, but, but have it not exactly feel like a cloud on-prem, but still have cloudy things? Like there's, there's just sort of a negotiation that must go on. Yeah, this is actually, I'm not flattering you. This is I think, the favorite question I've gotten in a long time. Because um, you're, you're, <laughs> you're spot on. Like it is not, um, black and white, how to navigate a lot of these trade-offs. And it is absolutely something that my product team spends a ton of time 
thinking about and not just thinking but like polling customers, um, trying various prototypes and showing them to customers and seeing what feedback we get. Um, because you're right, it's a balancing act, right? On the one hand, we want to deliver uh, cloud-like management where that is valuable. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, uh, we're trying to be like very, very eyes wide open and appreciative of all of the precedent that exists here with on-premises infrastructure, right? Hyper-V has been around and has been very popular for like more than a decade. And so people absolutely have a way that they do things, right? I'm talking about helping you find resources with the Azure portal. People have a, people have a, a way, they may not like it, but like every single Hyper-V administrator has a workflow for how they track down an object, whether it's a VHD or a VM, right? Like, they have a way of doing it. It's not like they're sitting there as like a damsel in distress saying, I don't know what VMs are, right? <laughs> right. And yeah, you can now use Azure policy to like apply certain configurations to um, Azure Stack HCI, but people had a way of doing that before too, right? Every one of these capabilities that we're bringing over, uh, it, it is the successor, or at least the sort of moral or spiritual successor to something that people already have a way of doing, at least for the most part. And what's really important to me, and I, I sort of stress this with my team all the time, is we're offering you capability. If customers think it's valuable, they'll use it. And like tip, yeah, they do, right? Um, <laughs> but it should be additive. Like we should be saying, hey, if you have a way of doing things and that is already working for you, like that's awesome. Please by all means continue. Uh, we think there's you know, merits to adding this to your workflow or adding this tool to your tool belt. Um, and if you'd like to, you can, and our job is to make that as easy as possible. Um, but it's not like, it's not about trying to force people to change what they don't want to change. And I think that's really right. important. And so uh, you see this, I'll give an example, like in the uh, licensing model, it's kind of a weird example, but uh, it's the first one I thought of. With HCI, it, we had to, you know, choose like how is this thing going to bill you right um and one option to your point would have been a completely consumption based like just however many vcpus the customer has um but there's a big problem with that at least the way we saw it which is uh, organizations and it professionals have been honing their skills for decades on how to run an efficient infrastructure uh, and how to identify like a virtual to physical ratio that is sensible and how to pack in workloads as densely as they can, right? Technologies like thin provisioning mm -hmm. or deduplication, like they're all about packing more workload into uh, an infrastructure. And if we charge by vCPU, we'd be punishing those who do a good job at that, right? If you packed in more workloads, you'd end up getting charged more because you'd have more vCPUs. And so we didn't like that. We were like, that creates this weird kind of reverse incentive that we don't want. Um, we want like we want the things that are good in Hyper-V administration today to still be good tomorrow, right? And so we settled on a model that was as close to actually what we think folks are already familiar with with Windows Server, which is like a based on your physical cores kind of model. Um, we settled as close to that as we could. We made it. Um, we got rid of some of the things like the minimum cores and stuff. So now small systems are better accommodated. Um, and of course, it's just like it's month to month, so you can stop anytime. There's some differences, but we tried to keep it familiar because, again, folks have been doing a great job for like more than a decade with Hyper-V, and we're not trying to show up and like rip and replace stuff, right? We're trying to add value where we can add value. 
um, but embrace the things that work as well. Well, so speaking of adding value, how is it that you go through the process of determining what's going to be next? So whatever you're going to announce in a couple of weeks that you're either working on or is going GA or whatever phase of the process, how are you sitting around managing that marker board of, uh, of you know, Q1, we want to deliver this? Is it all customer? Is it is it is your cl- public cloud's excited about something and you need to have a, a version or a connection for, to that in in local infrastructure? Is it uh, vSAN does this and we don't do this and we need to have that to be competitive? What What's the main driver? Yes. Um, <laughs> so, okay. Uh, it, it's definitely uh, all of the things that you said and then some. So we do pay, uh, you know, I'm not going to lie to you, we do pay close attention to the competitive landscape, right? You, we, you must, that's that's yeah, reasonable. We have a like, gap analysis at any given moment uh, between us and our top at least two competitors. Um, we do pay a lot of attention to customer feedback, so we run... Uh, obviously, we run public previews for many things, but we also run like a private preview program where we engage with our customers very closely. Uh, we have this uh, system where we map every product manager in the company to a customer that they are the the buddy, the PM buddy for. Um, and then we do various exercises to sort of share our learnings amongst ourselves. So mm-hmm. uh, like I'm paired with a customer in my home country, Canada, and we meet with them regularly and all of our uh, other PMs are doing the same. Um, so customer feedback is certainly a big signal for us. And you're, you're also right that there's a there's some amount of where the technology sort of leads a bit, right? And so we have some really brilliant engineers at Microsoft, uh, way smarter than me. And uh, they, uh, they often come up with ideas that they can apply first in an Azure context. So like either an infrastructure innovation of some kind, like kernel soft reboot, or uh, a management innovation of some kind, like a lot of the work that's going on with AKS in the public cloud or... Mm-hmm with Azure Virtual Desktop and, and its hosted control plane, things like that. Um, and so sometimes we are, we are sort of motivated by that and we say, oh, well, look, at this is like super useful. Um, we should absolutely make that available to customers in their data center as well, because it makes sense. And so sometimes we have projects where it's just like, oh, this, this technology exists now. It didn't exist a year ago, but it exists now. Let's make sure that it, it's really workable and manageable in HCI. I would say, though, because that's kind of a cop-out, I basically just said yes and all, all of the above, which is <laughs> um, I would say there is a, a lens that we're sort of using a lot of late, and you'll, you'll, see me, you'll see me and my team talk about this more and more over the coming couple of years, uh, and that is these like um, priority workloads. Uh, and this, this is actually something that we, we're sort of, we have the luxury of observing in Azure. Um, we can see how much usage in Azure is uh, like servers versus virtual desktops versus Kubernetes clusters, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, we can't see what customers are doing inside of their VMs, obviously. Like, but right. we can at least observe like how many of each are running, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, that's you know, that's easy to observe from the outside. I mean, we we have to provision enough infrastructure for it, right? So of course we have to observe that. And so for us, um, it's very interesting to see the, the trends there. Uh, and to think about, okay, for each of those sort of scenarios or those priority workloads, whether that's, again, Kubernetes or desktops or um, like the latest sort of Windows Server workloads uh, or Linux workloads for that matter, uh, what can we do to like make those, make the experience of running those better on Azure Stack HCI? Uh, and so more and more, I think you'll see some of the things we announced later this year and then also going into next year and beyond. 
uh, that'll be sort of very workload centric. That's not to say exclusive to a workload or, or like tied down in any way, um, but like we're starting to really focus on, okay, here's a sort of a vertical scenario to make really, really excellent, uh, and then do a gap analysis on that. And uh, it's, I mean, it's amazing with software, right? There's always ways you can make it better. Yeah, well, let me ask you about that specifically, because one that seems to be coming up more and more are these edge analytics, AI, ML sort of use cases uh, with some degree of GPU enablement, you know, little T4 or, or whatever, A100, uh, V100. In these systems, what's, what's your story there for that kind of workload to enable this facial recognition. I know Microsoft is very much in that business, but maybe not in the HCI yet. I don't know. You give me the update there. Yeah, it, it, excellent question. Um, and so today, our, our story actually uh, would be uh, actually a little bit of Swiss cheese. Like, there's quite a few things that are not great right now. Um, <laughs> and the team has been hard at work addressing them in the 21H2 feature update that's coming out uh, like in just a couple of weeks. Um, and so one of the big innovations there, and it's specifically for this scenario that you're alluding to, is uh, you can now take a GPU like a T4 or an A100, those are great examples, or an A10 for that matter, right? You can take a GPU like that, attach it to a virtual machine that is a clustered virtual machine in an Azure Stack HCI context, and it can uh, fail over between servers if there's like a server failure. And it can also uh, participate in the cluster in sort of a more controlled way. Like if you want to pause and drain one of the nodes for maintenance, uh, the virtual machine can uh, move to a different machine and then get assigned to a GPU when it arrives at the destination. So it's based on discrete device assignment technology. Right now it's still one is to one. So a whole GPU is assigned to a single virtual machine. But that turns out to be exactly what these workloads you're describing want anyway, right? Mm -hmm. If you've got a camera feed, you've got a single large application that needs to process that video stream as it's coming through and look for faces or look for movement or things like that. And so now that virtual machine can be accelerated and can still be highly available. So it can move around between the nodes in the cluster, it can fail over. Um, and all of this uses a, a technology and a concept that's called GPU pools, which we've never had before. So we're, we're going to spend a lot of time this fall, I think, talking about and explaining and educating folks on how GPU pools work. Um, of course, you don't have to worry about it if you don't have a workload that needs GPU acceleration. But we know increasingly you're right, a lot of customers do. Um, and for that reason, actually, we've been partnering with a lot of uh, our hardware partners as well. Uh, so one of the things you'll see when 21H2, the feature update for each day, when that rolls out in a couple of weeks, uh, we're also going to roll out an update to our hardware catalog that will highlight which solutions are GPU capable. Ah, um, okay. it's, it's really becoming something that we hear about a lot from customers. Well, I, I think it's one of those things you talked about facial recognition. I mean, it's it's just I don't want to say it's easy, but that's like an easy workload for these things to go do at the edge. And then you get into the whole conversation of, OK, well, now if I'm doing this at the edge, what data do I really need to keep? Because I don't need to send dozens of cam feeds to the core data center. Maybe I only want this eight second snippet when, you know, an identified customer comes in or does some behavior that that sales and marketing's tracking or, or whatever, right, to get those feedback points, but maybe not everything. Um, that one I think is really cool and it is is one to watch. All right, I wanna do one more trip around the performance track before I let you go. I know you're fond of, of getting on stage and, and yelling about uh, 15 or 20 million IOPS or something, right? Yes. 
<laughs> I don't. I haven't heard you yell lately about performance. Are you? Have you done any cool performance testing lately? Uh, it's a great, it, it, good question. So, I'll give a two-part answer. We have some stuff up our sleeve that we're pretty excited about. That is uh, not in the twenty-one H two feature update. It's uh, Ooh. we're sort of still engineering. Um, so we haven't talked about any of that yet. Uh, but believe me, one doesn't get over one's addiction to IOPS. <laughs> so uh, not, okay. not just the rest of our team as well. Like there's there's stuff coming. We're having a lot of fun. Um, there there are some things though that are that are not like you know two uh, x top line increase in performance, but that are still significant and that are in the twenty one H two feature update later this year. Um, I'll give one example that I think is actually pretty important, especially as cybersecurity looms mm -hmm. uh, more and more for folks. Uh, if you look at, uh, let's say you had deployed like storage spaces direct with uh, Windows Server 2016 or something, right? You could not encrypt the traffic that was flowing between the clustered nodes and also use RDMA at the same time. Hmm. Uh, like those were incompatible with each other. And if you did encrypt the traffic, the CPU consumption was very, very high, even with just like 128 bit, which was the only encryption that SMB supported at the time. Uh, everything I just described has been significantly ameliorated in this feature update that's coming later this year for Azure Stack HCI. You can now use encryption and RDMA. They are compatible. So turning on encryption does not um, get rid of that offload and that acceleration for the traffic between the nodes. You can also encrypt the traffic up to 256-bit, which is, uh, we know, important for some customers, especially in regulated industries, where it's not, it's not that they have... Uh, particular point of view on key length, but like they are required to use 256. And, and this is the real fun one, uh, there's a set of accelerations available in the latest generation of Intel Xeon scalable processors in the Gen 3 Xeon scalable, uh, Ice Lake, that actually uh, offloads, if you will, the AES encryption, the advanced mm -hmm. encryption standard uh, that SMB uses to do this encryption. So it's called vectorized AES. Uh, and it potentially uh, gives you a to about a 30 in uh, how quickly and therefore how many IOPS you can drive with encryption enabled. When you stack all of these things together, it's like a lot more than 30%, right? So you can actually encrypt up to 256-bit, still use RDMA offloads, and use this new vectorized AES from Intel, all of which put together makes it practical to encrypt the traffic between your nodes now for the first time, uh, which we're pretty excited about. So of course, in a data center environment, maybe you don't need to. Um, because you, you trust that nobody has physical access to it anyway. But in the context of like an edge deployment, servers are sitting in the in the you know in a closet in a retail store. Um, it is not inconceivable that somebody could actually sit between sit between them and read the traffic, right? Um, and being able to encrypt that now is a big deal. And so we've been focusing on little things like that for performance, where um, it's not it's not how many million IOPS can you do, but it's a little more a little more subtle. Um, but we'll get back to the millions of IOPS. Don't worry. All right. Well, I'll give you a not subtle version of uh, of one we're working on. So we've been working uh, this week uh, here at Data On's office with three nodes with these uh, 3.84 terabyte 5510s. And as you know, these all this componentry is getting harder and harder to come by. So we said, let's just build a minimum cluster. We put five drives in three nodes. Ice Lake, uh, you know, Gen uh, 3 Intel Xeon. 
the network traffic between the nodes is so efficient these days on, on Azure Stack HCI, it's unbelievable. And even just doing some light synthetic work, we're seeing over 4 million random 4K read IOPS. 4 million out of a total of 15 drives in three nodes. That's sick, like, that's crazy. It, and uh, can you, I'm just trying to think back even, you know, one generation, can you imagine saying you were getting to a million IOPS per yeah. node? And then now you're telling me you've got like a whole extra million in there somehow. Yeah. Um, <laughs> We've got a, a, a bonus million, yes. But between, between the network traffic and the innovation that's going on at the device layer with the actual drives themselves. Um, and then, yeah, our team is, is, we try to be pretty disciplined about not letting our software get in the way. Um, this matters to us because, of course, we operate like we have more nodes in Azure than we have HCI customers right now, right? Mm -hmm. So we are our own biggest customer for this stuff. We need it to be as efficient as possible. So we try to be pretty disciplined about not letting bloat get into the software stack. Between all of those factors, yeah, the performance um, is pretty good. <laughs> yeah, well, a couple of weeks ago, uh, we had Jason Adrian on the uh, podcast storage guy over at uh, Azure. And we were talking ruler mostly in, in that conversation, but the um, the software side, the hardware engineering that's going on, you were talking about some of the, not hidden features of Intel Ice Lake, but some of the stuff that Intel talks about or is on the spec sheet, but is hard to articulate the benefits of in, in the you know in the final consumption of, of those CPUs. Uh, but yeah, as, as a package, it's, uh, it's pretty amazing and you know, I I think more people are going to keep checking out this this stack as as it gets. You know, the guys like Dayton get the new hardware out, get the new uh, OS out. You've got this big update coming in a couple of weeks. I mean, there's a lot of momentum, a lot of reasons to be excited about it. And if you also want to have a high performance HCI cluster, I think that's the most best kept secret about what you guys are doing. The performance profile for HCI is unbelievable compared to everything else we've seen, and we've seen all of it. And uh, I agree with you. I mean, the the demand for performance is only going to increase. And so between that and everything else that, I, that we've talked about today, I mean, it's a, it's a very exciting time for edge infrastructure. And I think you can count on the Azure team, uh, referring to myself and my, my team, <laughs> to like keep keep delivering on this. And so there's the feature update coming this year. There will be another one next year. Um, and it's going to be a lot of fun to see where this goes. Well, we can't we can't wait. Uh, certainly appreciate you joining in today. It's been an awesome conversation. Uh, your, your Roomba didn't take off either, which I was nervous about the whole time. Uh, but this is great. Thanks for joining us and uh, love having you on. Brian, thank you for having me. Take care.